Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Natalia and Brooke, and we are recommending books with puns in their titles. I think Cozy Mysteries have some of the best puns, but I'm not a big Cozy Mystery fan, so this this was a little tricky as far as my, um, my choosing books for this. So we are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then I will start us off, followed by Brooke, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first plum pick tonight is Bait and Witch, Which Way Library Mystery, book one by Angela M. Sanders. And I think I talked about this when we did um, books set in libraries last year. Um, And this was just like a really fun discovery um, when I found this series. So this is about Josie. Josie is a librarian at the Library of Congress. And while she's working late one night, she overhears a conversation that leads her to believe that there is some kind of corrupt activity going on within the Library of Congress. So she reports it, and as a result, is put into kind of a version of the witness protection program. And she has to stay hidden until this case, you know, is taken to court and the people that are basically, you know, out to get her, um, have, you know, hopefully been arrested. So she ends up in this small town in Oregon, and she's working in their very tiny library. And she's kind of like a fish out of water here. You know, it's a very quirky, small town, very different from where she's used to living. But slowly, she starts to kind of feel more at home. She also learns as you know, is, is so often the case in these kinds of books, that she is descended from a long line of witches. And so now this town, which is kind of like a, like a haven for people with supernatural abilities. So not only is she like settling into this new job and this new place, she's also learning about her witchy abilities. And then she learns that the library could be closed oh yes and that that's never a good thing like you should not close libraries 
So she is now trying to figure out how to save the library along with all these other things and still keeping herself under the radar from the people that she exposed. Um, There are currently three books in this series. The first book is the only one I've read, but I do want to read the other two. They are Seven Year Witch and Witch and Famous. This one, which is like the best place to start, obviously, because it's the beginning, is Bait and Witch, Which Way Library Mystery, book one by Angela M. Sanders. I haven't read this book yet, but I do have it on my phone. Yeah, I think you'd like it. I will definitely have to. So my first book tonight, or I guess this afternoon, is um, actually a young adult um, it's Dating Makes Perfect by Pin Tip Dunn. So this is my first book by um, Pin Tip, and I loved it. So I'm definitely going to be checking out more of hers. So the Tech Sisters, they've never dated. Um, it's not because they're not good looking. It's not because they've never been asked. Um, It's just kind of a rule that they have been given by their parents um, because as, at least in my experience with um, Asian friends that I've had, education is very, very, very important. So the the parents of the Tech sisters, so that's not actually their last name. They have a very complicated Thai last name, but everyone calls them the Tech sisters. So their mom and dad, do, they do not allow them. They said they're not allowed to date or anything. Not even like kind of go out with a guy friend. They're not at all until after high school. Well, this kind of backfires for them because their twin daughters, Bunny and Ari, they are now at college um, and they come back six months after they've started and of course, their parents, the first thing they ask is, so are you engaged yet? And both um, Ari and Bunny, their twin sisters, um, they tell them, no, well, we've never got to date. So we're going to practice for about 10 or 20 years. So yeah, no rush for us. So the parents are kind of horrified by this. And they decide that they're going to make Winnie, their younger daughter, start practicing now. So the mom decides that she's going to set up some dates with the son of one of their friends. So his name is Matt. And Winnie and him have known each other since they were toddlers. They used to throw like rice balls at each other. (laughs) So what I loved about this book is the mom would set up their dates and she got her dating inspiration from different like rom-coms. Oh, beautiful. So like one of them isn't really quite a rom-com, but for example, she decides that he's going to take her clothes shopping like um, Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. Oh, oh gosh. So when he's like, <laughs> like mom, First of all, it's not really like pretty one because, um, well, I'm not using his money. And second of all, I'm not a prostitute. 
Yeah. So I like could not stop laughing because there was like little kind of witty comments like this all the way through. Um, in another one, they I think it was when Harry met Sally, maybe. And there's like a I guess there's a scene where they're in the restaurant and they go out to the restaurant together, and she's like, So mom, you want me to like give him a blowjob in the middle of the restaurant? <laughs> And her mom's like, oh, oh, I didn't know. I forgot about that part. No, no, don't do that part. And it was like, just like little things all the way through like this. So like, I could not stop laughing the whole time. Um, And just like the interactions between Matt and Winnie were really, really funny. I loved the support that she had from her sisters. Like if she ever had a problem, she just had to call her sisters up and they would just drop everything to talk to her and had to help her through whatever. And we also discover some things about one of the twins, which was so accepting by the family. And that, my friends, is all I'm going to give you. So this is Dating Makes Perfect, and it's by Pintip Dunn. I really like Pintip Dunn. I haven't read this one, but I've read a couple of her other ones. She has some pretty cool, like, um, young adult sci-fi. Oh, neat. That... I really liked and they have usually like romantic elements. Um, yeah. She's just, she's a lot of fun. So my first book of tonight is What's a Ghoul to Do by Victoria Laurie. And this is the first book in the Ghost Hunters Mysteries. And this series is a very fun series if you like, like ghosts. But if you're like Dear Shannon, maybe it might not be your cup of tea. <laughs> So this is about MJ, and MJ has been a psychic medium, and she communicates with the dead, both the spirits and also, of course, ghosts. She has been best friends with Gilly Gillespie since they were children, and they have a business where they're kind of like ghostbusters. You know, they get hired by different clients to see why ghosts are haunting their locations and I guess the goal is to help them cross to the other side or resolve whatever is that's keeping them imprinted on our beloved earth. So MJ and Gilly in this particular mystery have been hired by Dr. Stephen Sable who does not truly believe that his grandfather jumped off the roof from their family lodge although It seems to be that that has been the determined cause of death. And, you know, definitely the grandfather is haunting the lodge, but he's not the only ghost around. And, well, there are actually lots and lots of souls in the lodge, and they all have something to get off their ghoulish chests. So now MJ is going to have to quiet all the whispering and listen to the right voice in order to get the answers as to what happened to Dr. Stephen's grandfather truly. So if you want to know, like I did when I started this story, please read What's a Ghoul to Do by Victoria Laurie. So my next pick is Sent to Her Grave, S-C-E-N-T. This is a bath and body mystery and it's book one. Now, this was originally published in like 2005, 
under the name India Inc. It was republished a couple of years ago um, under the author's own name. And so this is Yasmin Gallinorin's version of A Cozy Mystery. It was so good. Um, I hadn't read this until just recently when I was looking for books for this episode. Um, So this is kind of a a new discovery for me of an older book. So this is about Persia Vanderbilt. She is living in this town in Washington called Gull Harbor. And she's working in her aunt's bath and body store. And it's her belief that you know, in in a number of years, like when her aunt is tired of the business that she will inherit it. So she's kind of learning everything, you know, from the ground up so that she is confident, like, you know, in her ability to run the store. So Persia has a run-in with a customer named Lydia and this other coworker of hers comes and kind of helps her out. And he has kind of his own difficulties with Lydia. Lydia is not, not, not a nice person. She is the winner of this new like local beauty pageant, but she's also just a very mean person. She uses people. She's very quick to kind of toss people aside when they're no longer like what she wants them to be, when they no longer serve a purpose for her. And apparently she and this Trevor guy who is um, Persia's coworker had dated. And now Lydia is over Trevor. She has dumped him and in her mind moved on to better things. Well, now the next day after this sort of altercation in the store, they find Lydia dead in the store. Oh, and they decide that Trevor must have been the one to kill her because, you know, they had this altercation. He has a lot of anger about the way Lydia um, broke up with him. So this is, you know, not a good thing. Now, Persia doesn't believe that Trevor killed Lydia. And so she tries to figure out who actually did it. Um, This is kind of a different type of book than what I'm used to this author writing. Um, These are cozies that have tiny elements of like metaphysical things. You hear a lot about like crystals and oils. You hear some about like magical cleansing, but this is definitely not urban fantasy um, or even like, I don't even know that I would classify this as like a paranormal cozy. It feels more just like a straight up mystery with a few metaphysical elements. Um, It's interesting because these were written quite a while ago, kind of before um, most of this author's other books. And so it was kind of interesting to see that like, this is, this is where she started. Um, there are three of these. This is the first one. It is sent to her grave, a bath and body mystery book one. And it was originally published under the name India Inc, but is now available um, under Yasmin Gallinorn. So my next book is actually a nonfiction. So yeah, it's actually a memoir. It's called High Achiever, the incredible true story of one addict's double life. And it's by Tiffany Jenkins. 
So this book was at, written in, in 2019. So the way the synopsis starts is three years ago, Tiffany was in prison for 20 drug-related crimes. Oh. And now she is the mother of three and, and also sober. And she's also, um, she started a blog. It's called Juggling D. Jenkins. And also in order to like kind of help her along in her sobriety and with her depression and anxiety, she started going on social media. And through social media, a lot of her videos, they kind of struck a chord with other people that were struggling. And some of them started like trending. So her writings have actually been featured on like mighty.com and things like that. And she's, she's still like in the kind of like the author um, thing on uh, good rates. It actually says that she is five years sober. So I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think, would that be, that might be about now. So it looks like it's up to date, which I'm really excited. So when we begin the memoir, she is in a Florida prison and she is in for 180 days. And the book flashes back and forth between when she's in prison and all the things that she deals with there, but also it flashes back to before she got, went to prison when she was getting into drugs and like what was going on with her life there. So prior to going in prison, like directly prior to this, she was actually dating and living with a cop. So you could only imagine how much trouble this caused with her, um, her arrest. And for him, like it wasn't like a big town either. Like he was a deputy so a lot of his, she knew a lot of his friends and these friends were the ones that ended up having to arrest her. So for her, this was very humiliating, but also as she goes through the detox process, she realizes that it must've been like horrible for him as well. Because in order to get her, her fix at one point, she ends up stealing some of his guns, including his off-duty weapon. So you can only imagine what kind of trouble this got him into. So as the book goes on, um, we meet some of the different characters that he, the different people that she meets in prison. And we see her kind of trying to survive. Um, she ends up joining, like once she's done her 180 days in prison, this is the only reason she was able to kind of go that short amount of time is she agreed to go into rehab. So she goes to a rehab program that's kind of, it's not like a treatment center. It's more of like a kind of a smaller kind of group that she does. And we get to see her talking to a therapist and telling her all these stories. And the way that she talks through her memoir, it's very matter of fact, 
like a lot of people, um, there were some people in like the reviews that commented that she was very kind of white privilege and all these things. But at the same time, like I'm not, I guess I feel that that was a, a situation, but I don't feel like she flaunted her white privilege. Like, I think she just was very matter of fact in telling people like, this is what I did. This is what I experienced. And like, these are what, these are the thoughts that were going through my head. So I think it's mm-hmm. just, she was very matter of fact, which I really, I kind I liked it. Like I really felt that I wanted to know what was going to happen. And I was kind of invested in knowing um, whether she would succeed or not. So this is High Achiever, the incredible true story of one addict's double life. And it's by Tiffany Jenkins. This is on my list of things to read. Yeah, it was on my list for probably since last year sometime. My next book of the evening is called Carpe Demon by Julie Kenner. It is the first book in the Demon Hunting Soccer Mom. Book one. You know, I still wonder what a soccer mom is and can I be that? Do I want to be that? (laughs) But anyway, this soccer mom is Kate Connor, who is your average everyday mom who has two kids, a husband, but she also has a very big and unknown by her family secret. She used to be a demon hunter. But now she's retired and more interested in the domestic than the demonic. But when she catches sight of a demon in Walmart, of all places, she tells herself it's some other, it has to be some other hunter's problem. But when that same demon attacks her in her kitchen, well, retirement is no longer an option. And now Kate has to kick not only kick demon but but figure out why the creatures want to not only take her out but take over her hometown who's going to take care of her two-year-old deal with her hormonal 14-year-old get the family to mass on time and try to keep up her past a secret from her husband and her children you know it sounds like she's a little out of practice But hey, if she can juggle two kids and an impromptu dinner party and she can deal with all these things all at once, I think that maybe getting a demon out of town should be a piece of cake. Like the saying goes, carpe demon. And well, Kate (laughs) intends to do just that. So this is a really fun series that I very much have enjoyed. And it is The Demon Hunting Soccer Mom, book one, titled Carpe Demon. I I just laugh whenever I read this title. I laugh so much. All right. So my next book is a contemporary romance. This is Not Again, K-N-O-T, Again, Real Men Knit, book two by Quana Jackson. The first book in this series came out a couple of years ago and that was Real Men Knit. And this is the follow-up. So this one is about Lucas Strong and he is a firefighter. Now he's been trying for the past little while to get more people to 
pay attention to his family's knitting shop. And so he wants you know, them to have more customers. So he decides to advertise the shop by becoming a model in this like charity kind of calendar. And so now he is a local celebrity in Harlem. Everyone recognizes him. They're always super excited to see him. There's all kinds of people coming into the shop. And suddenly he is a little overwhelmed by all this attention. Now his solution is, is not quite a solution that I understand because I don't find laundromats to be particularly relaxing places. But he decides that the only place he can like get away from people is in this local laundromat called Scrubs. So he goes there and he'll stay there for like a few hours at a time. Well, when he's there, he meets a small child and this child seems to be really interested in knitting. And as he gets to know her, he's, you know, kind of thinking like, this is somebody that could benefit from his family shop. Then he realizes who this girl's mother is. And that is Sydney, who is his like high school crush. And they haven't seen each other in quite a long time. Sydney left town and he never really knew what happened to her. Well, now she's back and she has, you know, some of her own kind of emotional baggage that she's carrying around with her. And she's just not sure that she's ready to get involved with Lucas again. You know, they were good together when they were teenagers, but a lot has changed since then. And she's just not sure, like, she's, you know, in the space for that. But as they start, start spending more time together, both apparently in and out of the laundromat, um, they realize that, you know, this connection that they had in high school never really ended. And so, you know, are they going to kind of throw caution to the wind and give in to their feelings for one another. I really like Quana Jackson's writing. She brings Harlem to life in a really vivid way. And I just, I feel like her stories are, are very warm and comforting and real. And they're just like the kinds of things that you want to read when you just want something that's going to make you happy. Like it's not, it doesn't have a lot of angst. It doesn't have high drama. It's just a very, very nice romance. It's, it's kind of the thing that like works so well for a lot of us when it comes to romance. So this is Not Again, Real Men Knit, book two by Quana Jackson. That sounds like a really good series. I'm going to have to check it out. Yes. Real Men Knit is the first one. So my next book is Autobiography, and it's by Christina Lauren. So three years ago, Tanner Scott's family moved from California to Utah, nudging him briefly back into the closet. So he is bisexual. And when we start the book, really nobody knows this. None of his, not like his, his family knows. And like his family is the most supportive family in the world. Like his mom has 
um, a gay pride apron that she wears all the time. It's it's hilarious. And she has like a pajama shirt that says, I'm in love with a gay son or something like that. It, it's like, it's really cute. So his parents are, his dad is like a cardiologist and his mom is like a software developer. And they've moved from California because she was given this like assistant executive job. So they've kind of moved over as a family. And this is his last semester at um, the high school. And he has, like, he knows he has nothing in the way between now and like leaving the state for university. So she's pretty, he's pretty excited. He's looking forward to just kind of breezing through his final semester, spending some time with his best friend, Autumn, and just kind of enjoying himself. Um, Autumn, says like kind of challenges him to take a course um where honor students get to write a book and they have to write it in four months so tanner's like this is easy i'm gonna totally do this and it's gonna be awesome and we'll see how it goes so the first day they get there and they discover that their teaching assistant is going to be sebastian and sebastian brother He's known because his book that he wrote the prior semester was sold to a publisher. So he's being published. And the first moment that Tanner sets eyes on Sebastian, he just feels this like sudden attraction. Um, he's dated girls. Um, he's kissed a couple of boys, but he's never really had this like, attraction like he like he sees like his heart is beating um he just has these tingling feelings and he's just like he doesn't know what to do so sebastian is a mormon um his family is very orthodox so sebastian doesn't like he hasn't told anybody that he feels things for for men um for boys because he's, he's a teenager. So he's never told his family this. And he kind of goes on with all these like missions that he has to do. And he's just kind of going on with his life as Mormon. And in the Mormon religion, it's okay to have attractions to the same sex, but you can't act on them. Because that acting on them would be completely like you're going to you're going to a place that you don't want to go. So Sebastian is currently going to be setting off on like a book tour with his uh, first book. So he's setting that up, and also he needs to go on his mission. So. Once they're done high school, kind of before they go to college, at least that's from what I understand, um, boy, um, boys, as well as some girls in the Mormon religion, they go off on like a two-year mission trip. And you don't really know where this mission trip is going to go, but you go on this trip and then you come back and you join the, the Mormon church. So Sebastian's father is actually a bishop. And 
this makes a lot of difficulties for him and Tanner. So Tanner, as I said, like his family is very open. They're very accepting, but they're also concerned because Tanner's mom was formerly like her family was Mormon and they, they shunned her because she, she dared to fall in love with a Jewish man. So her father, um, Tanner's father is Jewish. Um, they don't practice Jew on Judaism, but his, his parents do. And kind of the biggest reason that Jenna, Tanner's mom, left the church is because her sister is a lesbian. And, and as you can guess, this did not go well with the family. So Jenna took, kind of took off with Emily and has kind of like never seen her parents since then. So that's all we really know about that part of the family. So you can imagine how stressed out about this whole relationship that Tanner is developing with Sebastian, how stressed um, Jenna and Paul, her husband are, because they, they want the best for Tanner. They don't want, they don't really like when their children are sad. Like they're, they're like the most supportive family. Like there's times when in the book, where Tanner, her par his parents will be waiting up for him and they have a conversation. And I just think it's so neat to have this support system that you can really be open and talk about things, but also realize that when they don't agree with you, it's not because they don't want you to be happy, but it's because they want you to be happy. So all through the book, you get the perspective of Tanner and how he kind of struggles with the fact that Sebastian doesn't want to, like can't, really, really can't have anything like of their relationship out in the open. Um, you get to see how he interacts with his best friend, Autumn, who he, she really does like Tanner. And so that kind of makes a little bit awkwardness at times. Um, in the last part of the book, we turn to Sebastian's kind of side of things and we kind of see the struggle that he's having with, he knows what he wants and he prays every night and he's like, well, nothing's happening to give me the signs that this is wrong. But according to my father and my mother, this is wrong. So it's really interesting to see like how he struggles with, wanting to tell his family, but at the same time, knowing that it's going to cause them some difficulties. And that is all I really can give you because that's a lot of the book is this big struggle. But at the same time, you also see this happiness of this wonderful relationship kind of developing. So this is autobiography and it's by Christina Lauren. This is definitely on my list and has been for a few years now. This next book is by a very fun author whose books I have incredibly enjoyed every single time I've picked one up. And this one is called Recipe for a Perfect Wife. Not life, but wife by Karma Brown. And this book is about Alice Hale, who leaves her career in New York, of course, reluctantly, 
And she leaves this very promising career to follow her husband to the suburbs. And she's very, uh, you know, unaccustomed to the kind of days that you live in the suburbs when you're alone in a big empty house uh, without a job. However, she's determined to become a writer and to work hard to build the kind of life her husband dreams of. And at first, it doesn't seem to go well. Uh, Her resentment of this big house she is now stuck in, as awesome as it is, is enormous. And it seems like the house kind of hates her too. But then one of the days where she's trying to find something to do, she finds a cookbook in the basement that seems to be uh, relatively old. And it was written by a, or owned by, a 1950s housewife named Nellie Murdoch. And as Alice cooks her way through the past, she begins to settle into her new surroundings. Although her friends and family feel that she has embraced her new surroundings too fully and has pulled away from everybody that loves her and from her usual self. Alice is justifying her changes as research for the upcoming novel she wants to write. But then she discovers mystery and clues in the cookbook's pages about Nellie's life. And there are some mysterious, unsettling letters that are written to her mother. I don't know if it's uh, Nellie's mother or Alice's mother. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is that the housewife's secrets, also known as Nellie, are anything but harmless. If you want to know what those secrets are, you must pick up Recipe for a Perfect Wife by Karma Brown. So my last pick tonight is a fantasy novel. This is Ace of Shades, The Shadow Game, book one by Amanda Foodie. Um, This is the first book in a trilogy, and here we meet N. And for a long time, um, because I listened to this in audio, I thought that like her name was literally the letter N. Fortunately, (laughs) it is not. It is actually E-N-N-E. But she is a young woman raised in kind of, you know, the, the upper classes. She's been to finishing school. She is what society would consider a proper lady. But her mother has gone missing, and in order to find out what happened to her, Anne has to travel to a place known as the City of Sin. And this is a place where no like well-bred lady would go. But she has reason to believe that whatever happened to her mother has something to do with this city. And so she figures, you know, this is the only chance she has to figure out what happened. So she travels there and she starts searching the city for this man named Levi, who she thinks knows something about her mother. Now, she kind of naively thinks that Levi is like this well-bred gentleman. And so she's looking at all these places that she would kind of expect, you know, someone like him to be. And what she doesn't realize right away is that Levi is actually a street lord and a con man. He runs this gang of of teenagers um, that is kind of 
in a power struggle with another gang um, for control of kind of the, the underbelly of this city. So he and N eventually meet and form a very uneasy alliance. Like he does not want to be bothered with her. He figures, you know, she is not the kind of person that needs to be moving around in this city. She just needs to go back home, forget about whatever it is that brought her here and just like go away. But N won't do that. At least she won't until she knows for sure what happened to her mother. And so he kind of figures that if he wants her to be gone, the best thing to do is to help, like help her find out what she needs to know so that then she'll just like go away. Unfortunately, though, things get dicey because there is this very secretive group of people who rule the city by means of a kind of magical game that you don't fully understand until toward the end of the book. N and Levi get sucked in to this game. And because of it, N learns some secrets about herself as well as her mother. And then things continue from there to kind of, you know, bring the rest of the series to a close. Um, this is high intrigue, a very, very cool magic system, and a city that is almost a character in its own right because of all of the mythology that kind of surrounds like why it is the way it is. I really like Amanda Foodie. Um, she has done some remarkable things, both um, on her own and teaming up with um, Christine Lynn Herman to write a series um, that she started last year that is continuing on this year and I think we'll finish up next year. But this one is Ace of Shades, The Shadow Game, book one by Amanda Foodie. I really enjoyed this book. Yes, I liked it but too. I- I don't remember if I read any of the other two. So my last book is also a fantasy. It's Dragons Are a Girl's Best Friend, Fangs and Feathers, book one, and it's by Isla Frost. So why did the dragon cross the road? (laughs) To eat the stupid human, of course. I thought maybe it would be to find a chicken. <laughs> so, I mean, so when we join this book, this is post-revolution Las Vegas. And Lyra is a rookie cop in the rapid response unit. And her partner is a dragon. She's kind of moody. She's smarter than everybody. Um, the best thing about Aurelius is that she is a book hoarder. So some dragons have hoards that are like gold and treasures. Well, Aurelius, hers is books. So whatever she's not helping kind of keep Lyra out of mayhem, she is reading. She's got her nose in a book. So she's my kind of dragon. Yeah, I would take a dragon like that. I know, eh? She's just a little moody. So she's kind of funny. Like the witty kind of conversations back and forth between her and Lyra are pretty funny. Like 
she tricks Lyra into always doing the paperwork because, like, that's beneath her. Ah, uh, well, that works. And she refuses to work with anybody, anybody but Lyra. So, as I said, when we enter the book, it's post-revolution Las Vegas. Um, it was a magic revolution. And humans have been kind of randomly given magic. And not always is this a good thing. Lyra is one of these humans and her magic is kind of quirky. Um, So when she touches somebody, she's able to take on their magic briefly, which can be useful, but it also can be not so useful. So she is... Been, she's been called out to the scene of a monster that is attacking people. And Ooh. she has to save a 16-year-old. So the way that she does this is she takes on the magic of one of the bystanders. And she saves the teenager. But this causes her some problems. Because people don't always like when people siphon on off their magic. So a lot of people are not so sure about her and they don't really like her for that reason because they feel like she's a really dangerous. So her lieutenant puts her on um, puts her on leave because the person that she she later finds out, the person that she siphoned the magic was, I think he's the mayor's son. Oh. So you can only oh. imagine that that did not go over well. No, don't mess with the son of the mayor. I know. So while she's kind of giving back her badge and all these things and finishing off the paperwork before she goes home for her leave, she discovers that there's this like potential issue that um, is going to happen. Like we don't really know at the start what this is, but she sees this... um, magical person um i don't really quite know what his magic is but he goes into her the lieutenant's office and she overhears him saying that there's this like that he saw this vision of some bad things that are coming and like that's all she knows is that there's some really bad things happening gonna happen and so she's really really worried that she's not going to be there and one thing that she's really that that really concerns her is she won't have the power to protect her family. So her family is made up of a bunch of kind of, I would say like a mismatch, a mishmash, sorry, of different supernatural children. And they were all adopted by a vampire. And his name is Miles. And he is like the sweetest man you will ever meet. He's got um, one of her sisters, her name is Sage, and she is a part fawn, part human, and she's adorable. And then she has, the they call them the twins. So there's a little fox shifter, and I think the, the other boy is a cougar, maybe, shifter? Oh, and- just kind of to make it, they're like the same age and they came, they joined the family around the same time. And so Miles just calls them the twins, even though they're not really the twins. And then there's 
Lyra. So we learn really early on that Miles has some kind of like rare neurological condition where he's going to lose his memories. So he's really trying to like pack in as much memories as he can because he knows that it's, it's only a matter of time before he loses these memories. And like, he didn't really want any of his family to know, but Lyra found out somehow and kind of cornered him at the hospital at one of his appointments and made him tell her what was going on. So as I said, there's this thing coming um, and she goes to a birthday party that they're having for Miles. Um, and then she gets this like call from one of her CIs and she learns that something suspicious is happening. And so she obviously like, she can't just sit back and let it happen. So she takes off and she goes and she discovers that some person has decided that they're going to use some kind of like technology that will put like a dome around a certain part of the city and like it will affect everybody's magic. So she's quite worried about her family. And when she discovers this person, she gets stuck in this dome. So her family is outside of this protected area. And thankfully, Aurelius is with her, her dragon sidekick. Um, And so they set out to discover how to find this person because like they, um, they do find the person that set up the technology, but he's not the person who created it. So they, they set off to kind of save the world because Lyra, Lyra is, is worried about her family and she doesn't want anything to happen. And of course, like she's stuck. She can't really go anywhere. So she decides that she's going to investigate. Um, her lieutenant tells her to like back off and to leave it alone. Otherwise, he's going to suspend her longer. But she's not that kind of person. Like she didn't join the police force just to sit back on her hands and do nothing. And Aurelius, she's so funny. Like, she's like, well, I can't let you get into trouble, so I might as well just tag along. (laughs) And she's, like, the funniest person ever. Like, and as the series goes on, you see that Aurelius really has a soft spot for Lyra, even though she's very, like, abrasive. You you know that she really, really does care for her. Um, we meet a potential love interest. His name is Ronan. And he is, I think he's Faye of some sort. So they find him when they discover the uh, kind of like the headquarters of this villain who I don't remember, quite remember what his name was. But they, they find his, his home. And they start investigating. And this is when Ronan kind of shows up. And some things happen. um, And I don't really want to give away anything. So I'm not going to say any more. But I really enjoy the banter between Aurelius and Lyra. I love the family that Lyra has. Like her interactions with her little sister are so cute. So this is Dragons Are a Girl's Best Friend, Fangs and Feathers, book one. And it's by 
I love Frost. Okay, I need this series. This looks so excellent. My last book of the night is, of course, my favorite of all of them. And I'm sure that those who know me well on this podcast know that I was not going to be in an episode with books that have puns in the title and not talk about Match Me If You Can by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Yes, I know. It's the sixth in a series. OMG, the world is going to end. But I had to just talk about this book, not because... It was a book I read in one sitting and is one of my favorites of all time. But I just love the title, Match Me If You Can. And of course, I love everything. Matchmaking, weddings, uh, planning, restaurants, all kinds of books that have those kinds of themes are my catnip. So this book is about Heath Champion, also known as the sharkiest, sharkiest sports agent in Chicago. And nicknamed by those who fear and revere him as the python. And what can the python possibly have to do with Annabelle Granger, who was voted the least likely to succeed? And Annabelle, well, her life isn't that great. Um, She comes from a very successful family and she hasn't really been able to find her place or herself, or what she wants to do. And so she's had many dead-end jobs. Um, She's had a broken engagement. And, well, even her hair is a mess. Until she inherits her grandmother's matchmaking business. You know, I keep, every time I read this book, I wonder if there are really matchmaking businesses, or if there really were. I'm I'm guessing, like, now it's it's graduated to OkCupid, and uh, eHarmony, and... uh, I can't think of any other ones other than Tinder, but I don't know if that's a matchmaking business. (laughs) And uh, I I just wonder if these were a real thing. But anyway, so Annabelle has a matchmaking business now. And all she has to do is land the Windy City's most wealthy bachelor as her client. And she will be the most sought after matchmaker in town. But then the question is why on earth would the wealthy driven and gorgeous sports agent Heath Champion need a matchmaker and especially a screw-up like Annabelle Granger. I mean true she's entertaining she does have a certain quirky appeal but Heath is searching for the ultimate symbol of success the perfect wife and to make an extraordinary match he needs an extraordinary matchmaker right? And very soon, everyone in Chicago has a stake in this outcome and a very big question. Will determined matchmaker Annabelle, who promised she'd do anything, and I mean anything, to keep her client happy, did she mean anything? Because if Annabelle isn't careful, she might just find herself going heart to heart with the most eligible bachelor in town. So if this sounds as interesting to you as it was to me. Please, please don't miss Match Me If You Can by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. What a most wonderful, wonderful novel that I have read many times and in many different stages of my life, which I 
can only say that every time I read it, I enjoy it just as much, if not more, than I did the last time. And of course, if you like starting series from the beginning, like I do, you want to start with It Had to Be You, Chicago Stars, book one, by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. However, this is Chicago Stars, book six, and well, your brain will not explode, and my brain will not explode if you start here. And that brings us to the end of this episode, dealing with books with punny titles. Thank you to Brooke and Natalia for coming up with great books for this particular episode. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.